Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. Andrew, Alex, missing Doug. Missing Doug. Doug is not here, but we do have a Matei. Matei, what's going on? Not much, not much. Just, you know, trying to uh, progress through another week of Virginia Tech Twitter and the message boards, trying to keep uh, spirits positive. I know a lot of people are reeling after Virginia Tech is now one and three. Um, So just trying to do my part and keeping this thing together. Uh, Yeah, well, you're going to have to work a little bit harder than that, Matei, because this thing really seems like it's uh, falling apart at the seams. Uh, I did try to bring positivity to the podcast last week. I thought that somehow, some way, Virginia Tech would be able to uh, will themselves to a win over Marshall in Huntington, West Virginia. Alas, that is not the case. Tech comes out the gate hot. Start to think, oh, maybe they've figured something out. Maybe the offense is a little something going. And then pretty much the rest of the way, you did not see that. The run game shows signs of moving in the right direction, and then they just completely move away from the run, a decision that can only be described by everyone on the internet as baffling. And uh, I think for the first time now, we're really starting to see some dissatisfaction from this fan base now, uh, a season and a quarter into this rebuild with four wins total to show for it. Uh, I guess what positives, if any, did you pull from that game? And then we can go over the laundry list. I mean, it's definitely tough. I mean, there's, there's few positives coming out of this game. I'm with you on this podcast last week. You know, I, I, I think I said something like Marshall 24, Virginia Tech 20. And then, you know, I I start to look at the stats a little harder. I start to read Doug Bowman's preview one more time. And then I'm like, I'm talking myself into a victory and and changed it up in our predictions piece on Friday to cover all my bases. But, you know, when this game started off strong with the Kyron drones, I think it was a 31-yard rushing touchdown. Things looked good. We saw Bashal Tutton with a 49-yard gain to put them into the red zone. Uh, only for them to end up with a field goal. But, you know, it was kind of more of the same. I think, you know, from the running game, it looked good at the outset. It looked like Drones and Tootin were doing a lot better. But then for whatever reason, like, there should be there should be no excuse for Kyron Drones, who's raw as a passer, doesn't have a lot of starting experience, clearly is is still catching up to this playbook, and, you know, enters his second week as the Virginia Tech starter, and he's throwing 35 passes. Like, we did see some regression as a passer from Kyron Drones, but I don't think he was set up to succeed in this game. You know, they did a good job of establishing the run. They only ran the ball 30 times, which was clearly a mistake. You know, I start to question sometimes 
it seems like the game plan is good. I, you know, I praised the game plan from Tyler Bowen against Rutgers. I thought Virginia Tech's offense did the right things, maybe misexecuted on some things. But in this game, it's like as soon as Marshall adjusted, they abandoned the run. When, you know, that kind of tells me you don't have a lot of confidence in your offensive line. You don't think that your quarterback is able to, you know, operate the run game against a tougher look from a Marshall defense. And that's kind of head scratching to me that, you know, they had so much success. And if you're truly confident in your offense, you know, sometimes even if they're giving you every look to stop the run and and you think a pass is the best play, like the best way drones is going to succeed in this offense is by setting up the run and, you know, doing the short passing game um, and they just completely abandon it. So offensively, yes, there were some sparks in the run game, you know, especially those two long runs. But other than that, I think, you know, the passing game was forced and then defensively, there were some good things out of Feldarius Payne. I think we all picked him to be our MVP this week. He showed signs, you know, as the third defensive tackle, uh, you know, definitely got some more playing time. I think he had 37 total snaps, but it was more of the same of, you know, you're you're bottling up Rasheen Ali for most of the game, but then he just breaks it twice. You know, he had 174 yards on 27 carries. I think if you add up his two breaks, you know, that 61-yard run on the outside and the 50-something-yard touchdown run where he was untouched, that's more than, you know, half of his production on the afternoon. So they did a pretty good job of bottling him up the entire afternoon. And But overall, it's just those two plays are backbreakers. Um, I, you know, there were some more encouraging signs from defense, but it's, you know, the safety play gets better, the linebacker play gets worse. So you fix one problem, another one comes up. I think at one point, balance and... McDonald were the linebacker <laughs> pairs, you know, the third stringers in the linebacker room. So, you know, the coaching staff was definitely not happy with the performance there. Um, I thought the defensive line did an okay job. Secondary did much, much better. I think if they can build off that performance against Marshall, it's a, it's a lot better, but overall it's just much of the same in a different fashion. The question is, like, when's it going to end, right? And you look at the sample size with Tyler Bowen, and, you know, I, I, I hate to be negative, right, because you really wanted to give this staff a chance. But now, what are we going to take, 15 games into this thing? Yep, 15 games. 15 games. Four wins to show for it. And even in the wins, the offense has always looked lackluster with the exception of, I guess, the Old Dominion game this year. Talent is an issue. Talent is an issue for a lot of the teams that Virginia Tech has been facing. And it seems like week in and week out, they're clearly getting outcoached, out-schemed, and the like. What is there a chance that Tyler Bowen can turn this around, or, or do you believe that unfortunately, like 
we've seen what there is to see from this guy and you know he he might just not be cut out for the job right now yeah i mean it's a, it's a combination of things and i get the talent argument i get that you know it takes time to to reshuffle restructure the roster and you know i as i said before like i i praise him for the game plan that he developed for drones i get that it you know it netted 16 points against ruckers but at this point like i don't know what the virginia tech ceiling is i don't know if old dominion was the the highest out offensive output we're going to see from virginia tech all year but i you know with the talent concerns with everything with the injuries no matter what what you want to see is just progression and i do think there can be signs of that but i just think it's inexcusable that we've seen two different type of Kyron drones performances in two weeks against virtually uh, an identical team i mean you know high level this is a similar team to Rutgers Marshall is I I just I don't know how it gets better from here and I don't know how you can continually go into these contests where you're scoring 16 points then you're scoring 17 points you have a run game one week you abandon it the next week after showing signs of success so you have a run run game one drive and you abandon drive drive (laughs) it's just like I, I don't get where they are trying to build on this offense. And I think the biggest thing is through 15 games, I I cannot describe Virginia Tech's offensive identity. And I think that's the biggest problem. That if you're failing by doing one thing, okay. Like it, 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 as long as there are signs of improvement and you are trying one system, okay. But with this, it's like they're trying everything. And they're failing at everything. And I th- that's just so concerning to me. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always said the coaching staff knows what they have more than anyone in the world, right? Like, and the reality is you need to be able to make adjustments to best fit the personnel that you have. And they make adjustments but it doesn't seem to be the best fit. And I refuse to believe that, you know, this might not be a 10-win ceiling team. This might not be an eight-win ceiling team. But there has to be enough talent on this roster and on this offensive unit to win a few here and there, to put 20 points on the board somewhat regularly. And we haven't seen it. We just haven't seen it. And ultimately, when push comes to shove and when you're playing teams who, you know, maybe have a little bit more experience than you, but, you know, the 247 composite on them isn't overwhelmingly, like, there's not a huge disparity, if you will, right? We'll see what a huge disparity looks like against Florida State. But, we're mostly playing somewhat level talent-wise rosters, maybe with a little bit more experience. And coaching staff that seem to know how to get the most out of that talent in a way that Virginia Tech doesn't. And it's been disappointing to this point. Uh, 
because ultimately, you know, and we could take the the ten thousand foot view of anything, but in order to keep selling the dream, and we know that Brent Pry is an expert salesman, and I think that's bought him, you know, a lot a lot with the fan base, uh, some leeway, right? I don't think anyone was calling for anyone's head after year one. But when you don't see the improvement in year two, and you perhaps even see a regression in year two, or at least it feels like a regression, like lack of progress. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards kind of deal. It's going to be hard to go out on the trail and sell that dream to four stars and highly touted guys who – you know, or watching you hit a wall against Marshall. You need to do whatever you can to pick up wins now, whether that means getting away from the offensive philosophy. Sure. But again, nothing has been uh, set in stone or proven as what the offensive philosophy is. It kind of just seems like throwing shit at the wall and nothing's sticking. And uh, I, I think that that's what's the most frustrating for Virginia Tech fans right now, outside of being outright bored when the team plays offense. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, the run D, still an issue, right? And just when it feels like they've found some momentum, you get that back-breaking, you know, 55-yard run. Again, something that it's hard to make excuses for her at this point when linebackers were Brett Price's specialty, linebackers were Chris Marv's specialty, Sean Quinn, obviously, with experience there. You feel like you have to be getting more out of this group. Is this just a talent thing? Yeah, at this point, it's hard to justify talent, especially as you mentioned, there's three guys that specialize in developing linebackers. And if anything, we've seen a regression there. And we can talk about, you know, having Alan Tisdale at Mike, you know, not a natural position. Jaden Keller, not his natural position. Uh, Will Johnson, who, you know, unfortunately was on the field for both of those long runs, but it's just, it's week after week where linebackers don't seem properly aligned you look at the opposition's box score and you know opposing running backs are putting up video game numbers like we we can talk that it was the safeties against Rutgers and the linebackers against Marshall but you know this is a bigger issue that the defense knew what their weakness was and even with plenty of evidence over the you know the course of this season where they failed to bottle up you know the opposition's running back it it's not getting better like these numbers should not be happening consistently these big plays where guys are running untouched like it it doesn't happen many other places like it has to Virginia Tech and it it's almost like I'm wondering what's going on on a daily basis in practice. You know, where's the focus going? How are they preparing for opponents? Like there are numerous issues in itself. And I don't think it's fair to blame the talent. I mean, you can 
you can line guys up properly and they can go out there and make tackles. These guys, you know, you have Kelly Lawson, one of the, you know, named one of the freaks of college football at six foot six can outrun nearly any player on the field. And you're telling me he can't make a tackle. He can't touch a guy that's, you know, running free. So it's definitely starting to emerge as a coach coaching issue. I mean, we were already there last week and seeing it again, it's just, it's demoralizing to know that you know what the opponent's going to do. They're trying to establish the run over and over and over again, but you can't stop it. And they're, and whatever adjustments aren't working. So I don't know what the solution is there. Maybe, you know, call up Bud Foster and, and get him around the program a little bit more, get a fourth linebacker guy uh, into the program for some advice. But clearly the approach to practice, the approach to game planning is clearly missing the mark. And then when in the game, you know, and, and I mentioned it before, they're putting in balance, they're putting in McDonald, the third string uh, linebackers, because they're not happy with the linebacker play. But if if the top guys aren't doing it, the, the second string guys aren't doing it, and you're trying to put in the third string guys to prove a message, like it just seems like the coach's message is just not rubbing off on the players. I mean, you're absolutely right in, in that regard. And I think it does come back to something that a lot of people criticized at the time. Uh, but we know that like when Witt went out there and essentially Witt's entire philosophy in terms of coach hiring has always been, and he's clearly stated it, that he's going to prioritize head coaching experience, previous head coaching experience. That seems smart. Now you can get around that. You can succeed without previous head coaching experience. Don't get me wrong. To go out and hire a first-time offensive coordinator, at least first-time offensive coordinator insofar as calling plays in games on a regular basis, and then a true first-time defensive coordinator, and you have everyone in one room all trying to learn their jobs on the fly. And, you know, you can look at Mike Elko at Duke. You can make the argument that he was given a little bit better base talent-wise than Virginia Tech. Sure. But they never skipped a beat. They went from a team that was bad to the point that when Justin Fuente beat them in his final game, it impressed nobody. He got fired anyway. To a bowl game team last year. Now, a 4-0 ranked team this year with a win over Clemson under their belt. Experienced coordinators. Now, you don't have time to learn your job and then teach someone else your old job at the same time. And in the case of Tyler Bowen, trusting the entire point scoring output <laughs> part of your offense or of your team, someone who's never done it before. It's a huge oversight. Should have gone for some experience. Not to say that first-time coordinators can't be good because you know, obviously everyone's got to be a first-timer at some point. But at the end of the day, um, Seems like a uh, pretty large oversight by Mr. Babcock. All right, we have the young gun Colby Crawford joining us. Colby, hope you have good service. How you doing? I'm doing good. How y'all doing? Good, man. Good. You've been there. You've been in the media room. 
obviously you wouldn't think the mood is good right now. Can you describe to us a little bit of what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an awkward situation when you're going in talking with the guys after losses. You know, no one wants to lose. They don't they don't want to be talking to you after a loss. That They'd like to be talking about wins. But, you, you know, being on Hokie Twitter this week, you know, you've seen every end of the spectrum. But, I mean, Josh Fugas quotes the other day, and a lot, a lot of it's not rah-rah. Like, this team hasn't lost where they want to go. They haven't lost faith in the process, and – I know it's getting stale for a lot of fans and the results aren't exactly there on the field, but I, I do believe that the locker room is still together. And I, I think they are figuring this thing out. And while the schedule doesn't become any more advantageous for them to kind of work through these growing pains, I, I think improvement is coming. And while I know I get claimed for being the optimistic hokey a lot as I am, but I don't know. I, I have faith in them. I, I admire that faith <laughs> because I don't know, maybe uh, some of us are just uh, more beaten to a pulp than others by the disappointment, but uh, it gives us good balance on the podcast too. It, it does. It does. Uh, so Colby, you know, what was prize overall message, you know, going into this week against Pitt because you mentioned the schedule gets harder but when we look at Pitt, we say, okay, probably not that much harder. They're terrible too. Yeah, I mean, they, they've had their struggles. Jerkovic hasn't played up to the level that I'm sure Narduzzi and that squad is hope for. And, I mean, the same thing. You, you hear a lot of the same thing from Pry, and I know it's getting old, but it's true. The margin for this team, their, their margin for error is razor thin. You can't have penalties. You can't blow assignments and expect to win games. The talent level has increased from just a year ago. But, I mean, there's still just some massive holes on this team, talent-wise, and also maybe an indictment of the coaching a little bit at this point. So, I mean, like I said, the that's kind of his message. They're, he did take out the 1-0 in the tweet. He just said white out in the tweet. So, I don't know how that message changed, but it seems like he's getting the boys ready. It seems like Kyron Jones is still going to be that guy headed into the pit. So, I mean, we'll see. I think we're going to see a lot of the same and hopefully a lot more of what we saw in that first drive against Marshall, but nothing too crazy and how I think they're making adjustments for Pitt. Hopefully hopefully a couple linebacker fit adjustments to maybe stop that running game, but we'll have to see about that one. Yeah, and I think that's the frustrating part with some of these uh, linebacker issues is, you know, you can blame talent all you want, but – when someone's just straight up in the wrong gap, that is a, a mental error that, uh, you know, you should, this should not be happening. <laughs> it's never fine when you have the freshman walk on George balance, taking snaps over guys like Tisdale and Keller. So Will Johnson, Will Johnson got bumped down on the depth chart today. So definitely a lot has to get worked out at that linebacker position. So, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely going to be a, another knack on the resume for both Marv and Bowen and what they do against this underperforming Panthers team on Saturday. Any other big uh, things that you noticed from the depth chart and anything we can attribute that to? I mean, no, nothing really. I mean, you saw uh, <clears throat> McDonald move up in that linebacker position. He played 
Uh, I mean, the all the linebackers struggled, honestly. Maybe, maybe other than Kelly Lawson, I think he had 12 tackles again. I think he's up to second in the ACC now. But he even struggled. He had an interception, though. But nothing really. I think a big thing that you could look for is a lot more playing time for maybe Felder's pain. I think he put out some good tape against Marshall. So he probably earned himself some more time in uh, that D-line spot. Um, I mean, other than that, I think you just got to get your playmakers involved. And when you have a bunch of three and outs, it's hard to gain momentum. I mean, you saw what happened with Basil Tootin. When he got when he has the ball in his hands, it's explosive. So just to find ways to consistently get the ball to playmakers and make it simple and not, not so hard for everyone, but not so much depth chart-wise, just probably the linebacker position and how they rotate there. Matei, you know, we talked about how they kind of took drones out of his element and not really the player that you want, at least in this juncture of his career, to be putting the ball in the air 35 times. Matei says, offensive coordinator, Virginia Tech, in your vision, what does this offense look like playing two drones of strength? I think it's a lot of what we saw out of Hennon Hooker in 2019, kind of the, you know, really establishing the run game, getting him on the move, bootlegs, rolling the pocket. Um, you know, I even like some of the stuff they did against Rutgers where, you know, quarterback powers, just really getting him involved and, and kind of comfortable uh, within the offense with his legs first and then building the passing game from there. I think it's a lot easier when you're able to kind of draw defenses in uh, and get some better looks against them rather than, you know, like we saw against Marshall, you're throwing 35 times a game with, with not a lot of success there. Uh, and, and drones, you know, for, even though he doesn't have the best yards per attempt, I think he's uh, bottom of the ACC right now. He does have an arm that can go over the top. Again, we saw that a little bit against Rutgers. Uh, we didn't see it as much against Marshall, but being able to set up those screenplays on the side, being able to dump it off on the swing pass, I think the first third down conversion of the game to Tootin, I thought that was a great play design where he just swung it out and Tootin was able to use his abilities to get a first down, putting the ball in playmakers' hands, Jalen Lane, uh, Steven Gosnell, Benji Gosnell, um, you know, just finding guys easy around the line of scrimmage, easy throws, and then building off of that, you know, attacking down the field later on to Felton, but um, really just establishing him within the run game, establishing Tootin in the run game, and just trying to, in the passing attack, making it so it's not just him in the pocket with the offensive line you know, welcoming in pressure, getting him on the move. So that would be my game plan heading into Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, I think Matej really hit the nail on the head right there. You have this mobile quarterback and you're trying to make him a pocket passer and a second collegiate start. You come out on the first drive and you're averaging eight plus yards per carry. And then you end the game throwing the ball more than you run it. It, it, it was just a little confusing on why you abandoned that aspect. And I, I know some scoring by Marshall kind of had to change the game plan. He had to get down the field. But still, you want to – like that 2019 Hendon Hooker, let him run, let him show his talent, and then work him into those reads. Get that first read and then go. But work him into that passing. Definitely roll him out more. Drones has had incredible success rolling out 
we haven't seen it that much. But, I mean, even on that last fourth down play, the second to last fourth down play when he was rolling back and he finds Tootin, that's where he can make those game-breaking game, game breaking plays. And also, like Matej said, maybe uh, Drones isn't exactly where he needs to be throwing the ball over the top as he's still young and developing. But he has emphasized to us, the media, that he, he wants to throw the ball. He's not, a, he's not a running quarterback. He's a passing guy, too. And now I know it was infuriating for fans on that after the Kelly Lawson interception on that fourth and three when he threw it to Daquan Wright in that triple coverage on the left sideline. But that, that he wants to be that guy. He, he doesn't just want to be that running quarterback. And while he can do that, he is a guy who can throw the ball. It's just he needs a little bit of help and to get worked into it. And I th- like Mate said, I think he's averaging only 5.8 per attempt. But he can take the roof off this. And I just think it's going to take some more comfortability and just a little bit of system help as well. But there are playmakers around him, like you said, with Tootin. I mean, just a game-wrecking guy. Jalen Lane's coming back healthy. Price said today he's about 85%. So, I mean, once he gets these guys around him, I like the way the offense operates with him. Like Matei said, I keep saying that. But, you know, you bring the offense in with the run, and then you can blow them off over the top. And I like his ability to do that. It just really hasn't been able to be put on display yet because we haven't established the run. Yeah, and I just want to throw in one more thing. Like when Hendon Hooker first came in, and it, you know, it was part of the contention when he left Virginia Tech. But bringing in a younger guy, the staff tried to help him by having simple plays, having these plays where you have one read, two reads maximum, and then having specific game situations where you're kind of opening it up for the quarterback to make a play, to look around the field, to have multiple reads. And it feels like right now with drones, especially in the passing game, that Bowen is kind of throwing too much at him. He has too many reads right now. And I'm not saying that drones isn't scanning the field or any of that, but I just think when you have a guy who's, you know, probably going to make his third start it, you know, having 10 to 12 plays where, you know, it's a, it's a rollout and he has two options to throw to, you know, one guy long, one guy short, uh, you know, different keys where he should be looking. I think that's where you really need to build his confidence as a passer and then open it up in specific game situations. I feel like right now as a passer, it's just there's a lot going on. There's different personnel around him. He's working with a lot of different receiving options and different play calls. And sometimes you have to bring it back a little bit, condense the playbook, uh, do the things that, you know, drones will have strength in doing. And I, and again, that's why I kind of say making him, you know, as Colby was saying, like he is, a, he can be an effective passer if the right things are happening around him, but you also need to build that up with the run game. So, you know, maybe he won't like it, but making him a run first quarterback, at least this offense run first, and then opening everything up, you know, simplifying some things. I think that's how you get the most out of drones at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said it a couple times, but it, it is interesting how the offensive system that Brad Cornelson ran this expected outcomes, we'll tell you where to pass it kind of deal, would be a very good situation for a player at the point in their career, Iron Drones is right now. And, you know, the opposite. You know, if you want to put the criticism on it, it's like, okay, that offense definitely contains the potential 
of a more talented player, but it can get the most out of someone that you're bringing along. And, and uh, I think right now, that's what Chiron Drones needs. And what we've seen is kind of just a, a a mashup of various concepts and trying to see what works and then not necessarily sticking to what we're seeing working in the moment, which is uh, obviously exceptionally challenging for the Hokies offensively and exceptionally challenging for the fans to watch. Uh, Colby, all right. We talked about pain. We talked about glimmers of hope from the run game. Anything else you saw against Marshall that, you know, on what seems to be a very bad day on Hokie Twitter, you can turn and say, oh, at least that happened. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a rough day. Like, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I was there in Huntington, and I mean, it was it was just rough, you know, from every aspect, and it was not a banner day. But, I don't know, like, you could still see the morale was there. I mean, it was something you could take away. I, I know Kelly Lawson didn't exactly grade out perfectly with PFF, but he is second in the ACC in tackles. So, I mean, that's something you'd love to see out of your – sort of will linebacker and how he sort of developed and made that jump from last year. You know, he had another interception and granted it wasn't a great coverage interception. Cam Fancher just kind of threw it right to him and he's a six, seven guy right in the middle of the field. So I don't know how you missed that one, but, um, you know, like, I guess you can, the grain, (laughs) the feather in your cap is we're the second best pass defense in the league. I mean, in FBS, granted, teams aren't really having to throw against us because we're allowing 200 plus rushing yards and they're running down our throats. But I mean, I'm consistently impressed by what you see out of Monsoor, Canteen, Dorian Strong, other than that penalty, you know, it's just, there was a lot of mistakes and Monsoor dropped that interception. So it wasn't a great day for the secondary, but I mean, that is the strength on this defense. And when it comes, when the chips are down, I do think they can keep us in games if we can keep them close and the offense actually has to throw the ball to win the game. So I, w- I was impressed by that offensive line. Obviously a lot of tough things, not giving drones a lot of time. He was sacked only f- four times, which when I checked the box score before we interviewed coach at the end, I, I was surprised to see that drones was only sacked four times, but there were some positive things in there. Brody Meadows came in and he- he's done really well in his reserve role so far this year. I-, I think some real positives can be taken out of what Brody Meadows has done. And then just some younger guys, you know, with Nick Gallo getting hurt, uh, Daquan Wright had a role last year, but you didn't really know how Daquan and Benji would step up into that sort of lead tight end role. And I, th- I think they've excelled in as tough as the passing game has been. It's been a tough go for the Hokies, no doubt, but I, I think they've sort of stepped up into that role. So, I mean, those are some other places that I think have sort of fared well against Marshall and maybe into Pitt, but we'll, we'll see. There wasn't many positives to take away. Fair enough. Fair enough. Matei, any uh, outstanding final thoughts? I mean, actually, I'll leave you with this. For Tyler Bowen, is the job salvageable? Same question for Chris Marv. It's tough. I I definitely feel like there's a lot more pressure on, on Tyler Bowen right now, especially because we've seen 15 games of evidence and there's not a lot to support 
you know, this thing is getting better. Like I said before, there's, you really can't identify Virginia Tech's offense with, you know, any singular thing. Like you can't say they're balanced. You can't say they're a passing force or, you know, their running game is good. It's two years where if you look at the total offense, it's in the one hundreds, you know, it's, it's with the other G five schools and, um, you know, for Marv, you know, he's, I guess, technically five games into calling the defense and, and lining things up. But again, like the defense was decent last year and maybe, you know, has regressed in, at, in some things this year. And, you know, it's just tough when you have two first time coordinators and it feels like things are going backwards again, like we're four games into the season and a lot could change. And who knows, maybe Tyler Bowen pulls a rabbit out of his hat and somehow gets this entire offense to click. But, you know, if things keep progressing and it seems like they're going to keep progressing this way, like there's there's definitely going to be a huge magnifying glass on Tyler Bowen uh, and maybe even Marv too after the season. If this run game, if these run game woes keep continuing, again, you know, safeties last week missing their alignments, you know, against Marshall, it was the linebackers, you know, is next week going to be the defensive line? So we need to see improvements from, you know, these position groups on both sides of the ball. I get the talent debate and that there needs to be more restructuring of the roster. But at this point, you got to maximize something. Tyler Bowen needs to show what this true ceiling is of this offense uh, and, you know, kind of figure some things out. But um, you know, my, the last point on Marshall, I just, you know, it, it was the most, it could sum up Virginia tech season and, in, in uh, just a few sequences that, um, on their, I think to go up 24 to 10, it was third and six at the Marshall six yard line and Fancher threw the ball up and it, it kind of looked like a weak call against Dorian strong on the pass interference. Not only that, but uh, it looked like Monsor Delane could have caught the interception after it bounced off the hands. That's a penalty. The very next play, Rasheen Ali goes outside for 61 yards. Like that sums up what Virginia Tech's season has been so far. It's just these tiny mistakes that, you know, result in catastrophe. So that's my final thought from the Marshall game. All right. Looking ahead to Pitt, you know, we've talked about the struggles. It seems like, uh, Phil Dracovic, not the answer over there. Uh, Pat Narduzzi and his squad uh, have seen the losses pile up here early on. Now, granted, probably against a little bit more challenging of a slate than Virginia Tech has seen. Uh, Matei, what do we know about the Panthers so far? Somehow, someway, their offensive ratings are worse than Virginia Tech. Uh, as you mentioned, Phil Dracovic, he was supposed to be you know, the savior for this Pittsburgh team. I was kind of, I was messaging some of the guys in the group chat and just saying, it's, it's really funny to me that I was, you know, in, in researching Pittsburgh, I was looking at some of the preseason, uh, you know, predictions, nearly everyone said nine and three, eight and four. One guy even said 10 and two, no way that they lose to West Virginia and Cincinnati. And here they are at one and three. And I think, you know, definitely going the wrong way in terms of what they thought their season would be. Djurkovic, you know, just over 50% completion percentage, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, you know, they have a good tight end, uh, Bartholomew, and one good wide receiver and Mumfield, but 
you know, not a lot of options there. Their rushing attack is okay. Their offensive line is pretty bad, especially in pass blocking situations. And then defensively, they did have to replace a few guys on the defensive line, but most of their front seven is pretty veteran. And, you know, they've struggled there a little bit. Their defense is definitely, you know, it still can be good. And I think some of it has been exposed to the the competition they've been playing. Um, Some good defensive backs that maybe aren't living up to their potential, um, but, and, and, you know, Florida transfer and one time Virginia tech pipe dream, Donovan McMillan leads them in tackles. Um, but overall just an underperforming team on both sides. So, you know, it's funny, it's like both teams are one and three, both teams are kind of going through a little bit of, you know, quarterback injuries, don't know who's going to play due to some gamesmanship. Uh, and, and both teams just really trying to figure it out. So, Pittsburgh is definitely not the team that I thought they would be entering the season. They don't really have an offensive identity. Uh, and But, you know, we'll see. They do have some capable running backs. They haven't really shown up this season. But, um, you know, interested to see this Pittsburgh run game against Virginia Tech's rush defense. I think that's the key to this game. Colby, you've been Mr. Optimistic all year long. How optimistic are you going into this one? You know, I don't want—I don't want to leak my prediction for uh, what I was assuming Matei will run later in the week. But um, we always leak our predictions here, so yeah, I know. I um, I'm—I'm going to give it one more week. You know, I'm—it's—I sit in those meetings, and it's like, am I going to be? Like I'm, I'm sitting there, and I was like, it's hard not to get behind a guy like Pratt. You can see it; he he wears it, and I know it's getting stale for some people. But every, both teams are going through it this year, and I I think the rubber is going to meet the road. I think it's going to be ugly, but I, I I like it. You know, I'm gonna give it this week. We came out of non-conference one and three, but I think we start off ACC play. I think across the board preseason, we all had pit losses. So. But obviously their season didn't pan out exactly the way. I mean, they played a tough Cincinnati team, a tough UNC team, and I, I don't know. But um, I, I like I like our chances. You know, at home, wide out, military appreciation game, prime time under the lights. I think you know Vegas accounts for that. You know, hopefully the student section stays sticks around. Hopefully they keep it close enough to get keep that twelfth man sort of in the field in that student section. But um, yeah, I mean. Running backs do scare me, you know, a couple of improving guys, Hammond, Flemster, Carter, but you know, the way our run defense has shown that you can make some of these unproven guys with a little jolt look like first team All-Americans. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing, but I, I, I have faith in Marv more, you know, I think Pry, you know, it's kind of an indictment of Marv that in his first five games or yeah, five games now that he's had complete control of the defense. You've sort of seen that regression but I, I think he'll hold it together, and I think Bowen forms a concept that's competent enough to keep the offense rolling, start hot, and, you know, you haven't really seen them put a full four quarters together, and that's what a football game is. So we'll see if he can hold an identity for four quarters with drones and the playmakers, and, you know, I, I like it. So if I had to put a score on it, uh, I hope we score more than 17 points. So I haven't really put much thought to it, but let's go 27-21 Hokies. 27 points. I love it. I love the optimism. I love the optimism. I will not be going with them winning. I said last week 
that uh, the optimism was done until proven otherwise if they lost to Marshall. And uh, I think it ended up being like right on the money of a take, at least originally predicted, right? And I think that's probably what we could expect out of Virginia Tech kind of the rest of the way. Defense bends and then eventually breaks like a 55-yard run for the other team. Offense has like two drives that give you hope. Scrape a field goal in there, maybe a missed field goal in there too. I don't know. It's 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 challenging for me to predict them to win, uh, having seen what we've seen, especially against Power Five opponents uh, for the better part of the last year, and then some change, and then even going back into the final year under Fuente. Really missing the feeling I had at Lane Stadium and. 2021 opening week first game back from COVID North Carolina number 10 North Carolina is that right Matei Sam Howell win at home want to feel something again but I don't think it's this week I don't think it's this week but that being said if they can win this week there's there is opportunity because if Colby you know echoing Brett Pry is correct and there is this razor thin margin of error and you can point to in the Marshall game, uh, in the Purdue game, notably. Not really in the Rutgers game. Rutgers beat them. But a couple things here, a couple things there. If you can get like a 15 to 25% improvement, then, uh, yeah, those are, those are winnable football games. But it seems like every time you patch up one problem, another one opens up. And that's been the story this entire time. You have not seen them play a complete four quarters of football. It's exactly right, Colby. Just don't have faith that they will. Matei, your turn. Before I go, you got to give us a score. Oh, 24-17. I don't know. Something like that. It seems pretty fair, pretty fair. Um, before I go into the prediction, I will predict, I think Jerkovic will play. Um, unfortunately, I could not see the hit from the game. I didn't watch the game live. I went literally everywhere you could possibly go to find the full game. And for whatever reason, there was technical difficulties from the ACC network and they were unable to show the hit. Um, but he's come back from worse, you know, against Virginia Tech. I think it was a year ago. He came back from a broken hand. This guy's a gamer. Um, if he doesn't go, they have Christian Veyu, who many Hokie fans might know because he was the priority target in the portal over the offseason until Tyler Bowen got on a plane and met with Kyron Drones. So funny how both quarterbacks, you know, could be starting, you know, number one and number two targets for Virginia Tech out of the transfer portal at quarterback. I it's it's annoying this game like any other season. You look at this game, you look at what Pittsburgh has done, what they are this year. And this is like the easiest layup, you know, this is a game that Virginia Tech should win in any other season, but in this season, you could say that about like, all of the first four games. I mean, yeah, you could, you, you honestly could. And I think that's what makes it so frustrating. It's like, yet again, it's another team that if, if you are losing to this Pittsburgh team, it, it's just like, it, you are bad. Like you are bad. This Pittsburgh team is bad. I think it's going to be ugly. I think both teams really, you know, they, 
don't have a lot on offense right now. Both teams are going to try to control time of possession. I think you kind of have to go back to what I was saying about the game plan against Rutgers, making Kyron, Tootin, you know, Malachi Thomas, the, the focal points in the run game, kind of building off of that. You know, it goes against some of the weakness of this Pittsburgh defense. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, you don't have a running back of the quality from the last two weeks playing against you. And, you know, I, I thought they did good in large stretches against Ollie. It doesn't seem like Pittsburgh, this is going to come back to bite me, but it doesn't seem like Pittsburgh has that guy that can, you know, totally take off the top and go untouched for 60 yards down the sideline. Like Rodney Hammond is kind of what he is. He's been a reserve running back for three years. Um, I think this is a type of game where it ends up like 17-13. I just think it's it's going to be a lot of punts, a lot of field position, um, a lot of three and outs. But I'm going to go 17-13 for Pittsburgh here. I think they just, you know, their defense is a little better. I think they play tough for competition and um, – you know, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback's going to be. They haven't found success in the passing game. If Virginia Tech is going to lose this game, it's going to be, you know, the running backs by committee for Pittsburgh just finding a way to get it done. I just went back to look to see how many yards Easy Abanacanda had against us last year. And uh, what a scary stat line. <laughs> 320 yards, six touchdowns on 36 carries, 8.9 yards per carry. That's the type of game that gets you a couple spots in the draft. Like that film alone probably benefited him multiple thousands of dollars. Oh, got it. It's like showing what your peak performance looks like. But to be fair, it's not like he was a scrub prior to that. He had... A 154 game, 133 game, and 177 game under his belt going into that. And then never had less than 100 yards in a game after that. So he was a good player. They don't have that this year. That is good. If they did it, it'd be over. And think, Virginia Tech scored 29 points in that game. You know, if one of, the, if one of these guys does that to us this weekend on Saturday, I don't think we can put 29 points up on the board I mean, like, we were out of that game, but we, we scored some points. And a lot of – some of it was garbage time. There's that block field uh, – block punt. But, I mean, still, 29 points would be amazing for the rest of the season with what we've seen from this offense. So, I mean, that's just something to keep in mind with how they've kind of almost regressed from last year. 29 points would be the second-highest scoring output of the Brent Pry era. I think 29 points is probably enough to win this game. I don't know if 29 points are coming. Without a doubt. 20, 29 points wins. 21 points probably wins in this game. It's going to be a, uh, a very, very boring matchup. All right. Final news and notes here. We're going to keep it Virginia Tech related for, one, for whatever reason. Brent Pry blocking people on Twitter. A lot of reaction to that. Who cares? Or bad thing? I actually had to double check myself just to make sure after a series of uh, tweets against Marshall, but I am all good still. But, I, you know, it, it, it's not the best look. But to be fair, like 
everything right now. Like we we've seen the Josh Jackson having his name as the team captain, the Trayvon McMillan wondering if his name was, you know, on, on the wall. Like when, when the floodgates open, it's about everything and people are overreacting to quite literally everything on Twitter right now. I think some of the people are, you know, the tweets they've been sending, like I've seen some of the users that said they were blocked it's justified. The the block is justified. So to cry over it afterwards, like maybe check what you're putting out there. And, you know, just because you're a disappointed fan doesn't mean you can say absolutely anything, you know, but, you know, I do think it's a bit of an overreaction, but I also think it's not a great look when you see five, six, you know, seven people posting screenshots that, you know, the head coach of the football program is, is, is blocking fans at this point. Goldby. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's spicy for sure. You know, <laughs> when it rains, it pours and, you know, all the dirty laundry gets aired out. I'll keep it brief. You know, in football and most mostly in life, you know, winning fixes everything. You know, this team starts winning football games. Fans are going to stop worrying about all, a lot of this stuff. And like you see with the Beamer era, you know, a lot of, a lot of it was band-aided or covered up or package it up because they were winning football games is like in that ESPN expose piece, you know, a lot of stuff got put on the back burner, but you know, winning football games is what this organization and like is here to do. So, and that, that takes away a lot of these problems. We wouldn't be talking about people getting blocked. If we beat Marshall by two touchdowns, we, a lot of this stuff, a lot of disgruntled fans, former players, whoever message boards, Twitter, it, there just wouldn't be this mindset if we were winning games. And, it's an indictment of the program and where it's at, but at the same time, you got to remember, you know, these are people that like they have lives and it's going to move on and you got to love the passion from the fans. You never want to talk bad about the fans. So, I mean, it puts a coach in a bad spot because, you know, you want to defend your fans, but you also have to defend yourself and your family and your belief system. So it's tough, but I think winning football games heals a lot of these things and it's not a great spot to be in, but you know, like Matei said, a lot of the tweets, they were rightfully so being blocked. So, you know, just be mindful of what you're putting out there. Be a fan, but be respectful and just walk a day in someone else's shoes. But I don't know. I feel good about this weekend. I feel revitalized. So I will be that voice of hope for everyone. Let's go. And you can sound off in my comments. I won't block anyone. So sound off on me and say, you know, pick up a little negativity. But, but I'll, I'll keep the smile shining. So. We're, we'll roll into Lane Stadium and then Tallahassee after that and just one game at a time. So we're going to go one and no this weekend. I'll say it for Coach. <laughs> Don't even get me started about Tallahassee. That oh, is uh, going to be a short preview podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. It's going to be a short preview podcast. Speaking of just real quick, message board material, Twitter material, there is a contingency of FSU fans right now saying that Jordan Travis should legitimately sit out the Virginia Tech game to rest his ailing shoulder and that FSU can, you know, cakewalk through Virginia Tech. They don't need their starters for that game. So that's kind of, you know, where the program is right now. And, you know, that's that's very disrespectful. I don't know what Virginia Tech is going to do about it, and that's probably not going to be the case. But the fact that fans are believing that right now is is pretty sad yeah that's insanity you know like that used to be like met like 
bulletin board material, fire up the team. And now it's like, I don't know, it's pretty crazy. But you think about Marshall back in the day, back in Frank's day, that would be like, all right, when are we getting pop? When are we getting wiki? When are we getting those guys in in the third and fourth quarter? And it's like, it's just the, the way things have evolved. So, I mean, well, that that is a growing trend and I've seen it. So, I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that they think that low of an ACC opponent. And, I mean, we'll see if the Tech's defense and offense respectful, respectively kind of get fired up or they covered like 52 and a half points. <laughs> so, we'll see. Yeah, they they could cover if it's that. Um, to your statement there, Matang, it's not just crazy FSU fans. I believe, and I don't know exactly who, because I saw this just from, uh, if we all know Pete B on Twitter, he, he brought this to attention. But yeah, it's like national media people from this very media organization from which we are under the umbrella are suggesting that like straight face, not like trying to make a joke against Virginia Tech being bad. Like what they should do is bench Jordan Travis because they can win that game without him. So yeah, things fall. They fall far. Florida State's small handful of years from losing to Jacksonville State at home. There's ebbs and flows in this sport, and it's just a matter of how, if you fall from the mountaintop, how long are you going to be down for? Uh, we fell from the mountaintop. We thought we were down, and it turns out there was farther to fall. Hopefully not too much further than this. Uh, Andrew Alex, Matei says, Colby Crawford, inside the tunnel. BT Scoop 24-7 Sports. Any final words for the folks at home? Go Hokies. <laughs> a night game at Lane Stadium. I just hope it, you know, lives up to the hype. So. Indeed. Big opportunity for a win. Uh, a much-needed win against a Pittsburgh team that uh, has given it to Virginia Tech uh, the last handful of years. Speaking of happiness, 30 nothing pit shutout in the rain 2000, uh, 2019. That was a good one. Goal line stop. Goal line stop. That was a very oh and the, the goal line stop was 2017 we had two really good pit home games in a row probably the two two of the top five games of the justin fuente era um if we win this game it will easily be the best game of the red prior era right there's there's can't see how it wouldn't be uh so hopefully that happens we'll be back to recap all of it hopefully with one doug bone and Evan G. Watkins, as Doug can give you a very compelling argument to watch the nationally televised Florida State-Virginia Tech game. I'll be at the Georgia game during that game, but we'll get there later. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Enjoy the game. And as always, go Hokies. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.